0: This is Guns and Butter.
1: There's something happening, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun
2: over there. As far as we know, Flight 93 flew for about forty minutes uh, towards Cleveland where it changed direction without any hijack being reported or even an emergency being reported and um, obtained a new flight plan from Reagan International Airport with a destination of Washington, D.C. at 10.28. Somewhere along the way, it disappeared. Now, the government story is that heroes rose up and attacked the cockpit against uh, federal law And uh, they thereby caused the plane to ditch somewhere near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. The crash site is now a a shrine to the loss of these heroes, and uh, there is a plan to build a $57 million memorial park in the shape of an Islamic crescent at the site.
0: I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Roland Morgan. Today's show, Flight 93 Revealed. Roland Morgan is a journalist and author. He was born in Brighton, England, and graduated with honors from Cambridge University. He worked as a columnist for The Guardian and The Independent on Sunday in the 1990s and has authored 40 books of various kinds. He is now a resident of Canada. He has a new DVD on Flight 93 that will be available in October 2007 through www.globaloutlook.ca. Roland Morgan's most recent books are 9-11 Revealed, Challenging the Facts Behind the War on Terror, and Flight 93 Revealed, What Really Happened on the 9-11 Let's Roll Flight. Roland Morgan, welcome. Welcome. Your latest book, Flight 93, Revealed. What was Flight 93?
2: Well, um, Flight 93 was the fourth of the planes to um, either disappear or go down or crash or whatever term we should uh, use. It... um, in my view, it disappeared under mysterious circumstances around 10 a.m. on September eleventh, two 2001, that is Eastern Standard Time. And um, we've never really had a satisfactory explanation of what happened to it.
0: Now, what, in your view, is the connection between Flight 93 and the Iraq War? In, in the beginning of your book, you... Quote uh, President George W. Bush in a speech he made on November 8, 2001, and it says that he is uh, citing a phone call, what you call scriptures, by citing Todd Beamer's last known words and making them the last words of his presidential war-making speech. Quote, we will no doubt face new challenges, but we have our marching orders. My fellow Americans, let's roll.
2: Well, uh, yes, Let's Roll was a slogan that emerged from the Flight 93 affair. Now, a long story is thereby attached. Uh, I'll, I'll try to be brief. The, um, the occupants of Flight 93 were reported to have made a series of telephone calls to Earth from six miles altitude, Many of these telephone calls were reported at the time as cell phone calls, which added a kind of magical quality to the whole thing, because, of course, cell phone calls will not work at six miles altitude. This is proven by the fact that the airlines are now introducing newly invented technology to make cell phones work on planes. They did not work in 2001. These phone calls were climaxed by a Verizon official who said she had received a telephone call from a passenger, an alleged passenger on the plane, Todd Beamer, who had spoken to her for anything between 12 and 25 minutes, um about all sorts of things, including reciting the Lord's Prayer. He had then dropped the phone, uh, going off to attack the cockpit, which at the time was an illegal act under federal law, and... um, She said that she heard him shout, let's roll, as the phone was dangling. However, subsequent research has shown that Lisa Jefferson did not actually hear these words. It was, in fact, the heartbroken widow, Lisa Beamer, who uh, invented this slogan and took it to the media first, and she then subsequently copyrighted it, and uh, the Pentagon adopted it, and it became the recruitment war cry to uh, drive America to war in the Middle East.
0: In your book, you have a photograph of uh, what looks like an aircraft carrier steaming toward uh, the Middle East, and you said, I believe, that they were Marines on board who formed— the slogan, Let's Roll, with their bodies, that you could see from the air.
2: Yes, there is such a photograph. There are, there are lots of photographs of Let's Roll. It kind of filled the interstices of American lives at that time. For example, a U.S. recruitment um, commercial showed Let's Roll written on the tip of a shell being inserted into a tank gun. Uh, during the commercial, it also appeared, um, Lisa Beamer appeared, uh, um, a blessing a sticker on the side of F-16s that said, let's roll. The Pentagon put let's roll on its signage around the repairs of the Pentagon. Um, the um, notions industry sold uh, thousands and thousands of let's roll ideas ranging from dice uh, to uh, the familiar baseball cap and bumper stickers.
0: Well, now, I want to come back to Todd Beamer and Elisa Beamer and talk about them in more detail but first, let's let uh, let's get a view of uh, Flight 93. Now, that took off from New Jersey. It was a transcontinental flight, and it was supposedly headed for San Francisco. Could you describe uh, that flight and how that went?
2: Well, this is um, not as, quite as easy as the question suggests, because... Nearly all the information we have about aviation comes from semi-military sources. The Federal Aviation Authority is closely associated with the military. The military itself supervises and surveys the whole civil aviation field. And uh, most of the information we have about these flights is obviously semi-official. But as far as we know... Flight 93 uh, took off uh, with a rather unusually small number of passengers. Uh, Only 33 or 34 were reported to be aboard the flight. It then flew for about 40 minutes uh, towards Cleveland, where it um, changed direction without any hijack being reported or even an emergency being reported and um, obtained a new flight plan from Reagan International Airport with a destination of Washington, D.C. at 10.28. Somewhere along the way, it disappeared. Now, the government uh, story is that uh, heroes rose up and attacked the cockpit against uh, federal law And uh, they thereby caused the plane to ditch somewhere near Shanksville, uh, Pennsylvania. The crash site uh, is the subject of uh, quite vigorous debate on the Internet, although it is now a, um, a shrine to the loss of these heroes. And uh, there is a plan to build a $57 million memorial park in the shape of an Islamic crescent at the site. All these um, extraordinary factors in the story um, add to its almost complete unverifiability. We actually know extraordinarily little about Flight 93, which is why... Filmmakers such as Universal, Discovery, A&E have produced virtually fictional accounts of these events which have shown to literally over a thousand million households in the last two years.
0: What does the 9 11 Commission say, the official report of the U.S. government? Now, what do they say about Flight 93?
2: Well, the 9 11 Commission came out with almost the identical story to the um, Newsweek gathering together of all the strands of the story on December the 3rd, 2001. Very little changed. the heroes had risen up, uh, assaulted the cockpit. The only difference was that the 9-11 Commission ostensibly had um, flight deck recording equipment uh, results that showed that the, um, the passengers had never penetrated the cockpit itself and that the hijackers had in fact decided to ditch the plane because of the riot aboard. The passenger riot is very plausible. The time periods in which uh, both Flight 93 and Flight 77 were in the sky were quite extraordinary. There were only three hijackers aboard, reported to be aboard Flight 93, and there were uh, a range of very large men with judo and other fighting experiences aboard the plane, And flying for um, 40 minutes without um, any kind of weaponry, as far as we know, must have been an extraordinary challenge. And um, a, a rebellion or an uprising by the passengers, I would say, would be definitely on the books. However, the evidence for it is extraordinarily scanty.
0: Now, I understood generally speaking, that these early morning East Coast transcontinental flights from the East Coast to the West Coast of the United States would normally be packed. Also a uh, a travel agent friend of mine who has booked that flight before and other flights says that, that these airlines would not fly transcontinentally with only 34 people on board, that they would reschedule it.
2: Yes, the... Um All the planes had uh, fairly low passenger uh, numbers. Um, Apparently, they were all well below average. The only one that approached average was um, Flight 11, um, the first flight that apparently hit the Twin Towers. Um, The flight manifests were released with the copious amount of evidence that came out of the... Show trial conducted against um, Zacharias Musawi uh, last year. Uh, they, I described it as a show trial because Musawi was in fact in prison at the time and could not have participated. Um, the flight manifests were released at that time. They're very, very badly reproduced, um, but I've examined them and uh, I'm not experienced at looking flight manifests. Of course, none of us are because they are uh, secret information that is authorized to be kept secret by federal law. And um, examining them, they seem to be authentic enough. So we have to assume that all these flights that day just happened to have quite low numbers of passengers aboard.
0: Now, were the so-called accused hijackers, were they listed on the manifest?
2: Yes, their places are shown in first class. The uh, strange thing about Flight 93 is that um, the pilot was never mentioned in any of the phone calls made from the plane, which all reported three hijackers and not four. Uh, Thea Jara is portrayed in the A large number of films have been made about this episode as having snuck somehow into the cockpit and um, eliminated the pilots and somehow taken their places and taken over the flight. As we know, he notoriously made an announcement, apparently by mistake, that was supposed to be for the passengers but um, was heard instead by the air traffic controllers.
0: Now, Zia Jara is the so-called fourth hijacker who just appeared. Was he on the flight manifest?
2: Yes. um, The thing is about Zia Jara, he was rather a a well-off young man who had been um, raised in private schools in Lebanon, uh, later lived in Germany, spoke fluent German, and uh, then moved to USA to train as an airline pilot, which is a perfectly legitimate career ambition. And um, he flew a lot while he was on a temporary permit to be in the USA. He flew in and out of the country half a dozen times, as far as we know, all under his own name. And um, he... Probably, quite possibly, flew regularly, flew first class. This has never been made clear whether he regularly flew first class or not. It's rather a strange lacuna in the nine eleven commission's report. Um, They never mention whether he flew regularly first class, which would be an extenuating circumstance uh, if he regularly flew first class. It would add to our suspicion that he had been framed as the pilot.
0: I'm speaking with journalist and author Roland Morgan. Today's show, Flight 93 Revealed. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Could you then talk about the Uh, Let's call it the myth of Flight 93. There have been quite a few movies put out. The most famous and most recent, I guess, is Universal's United 93. Could you talk about the narrative of these films and what they're based on? Supposedly, there were 13 calls made from that plane.
2: Well, um, the government evidence that came out in the Masawi trial reported 37 calls, 35 of them by airphone, and two by cell phone. Now, only half a dozen of these reported calls, they're pure hearsay reported by call recipients who were at the time in a state of great stress, um... You will remember how everyone felt that morning. They then received a phone call in their homes from a loved one who was aboard a apparently doomed flight, which of course plunged them into even further distress and imminent grief. They then reported these phone calls that had told them of an imminent, just a few of them reported an imminent revolt. Upon these scanty and very um, poor brief snippets of evidence, these uh, huge expensive films were produced showing a wild drama aboard with Islamic hijackers uh, slaughtering people and causing mayhem and generally um, destroying a civil airline flight. Um, the filmmakers were all really at pains to state how much their films are reconstructions based on the evidence. All these claims are nonsense because there is very little evidence of attacks on the cockpit in Flight 93. There's no evidence of revolts in any of the other three flights. And in fact, There are very few phone calls from any of the other three flights. Uh, Flight 11, which was the most populous of all the flights, had no passenger calls at all coming from it, whereas, as I say, Flight 93 was supposed to have 37 calls. Now, all these calls at the time were reported in the media, even by the Washington Post, the New York Times, and the Los Angeles Times. They all reported them on the 12th and 13th as cell phone calls, a pure impossibility, which many of the media directors must have known. They must have known that these calls were impossible.
0: Now, you said that when the evidence came out in the Zacharias Musawi trial that most all all of these thirty seven calls with the exception of two were now claimed to be made on airphones. Is that right?
2: Yes. Uh, airphones were run by Verizon from extensive offices in Chicago. The key customers of airphone were in fact, not the seat back phone users on civil airliners. the airphones were a bit of a flop; they were very expensive and little used, and they're now being taken out of airliners. However, the airphone company, while removing all the seat back phones is In fact, maintaining 3,400 reported accounts with civil private airliners and government jets. That is the core business of Airphone out of Chicago, is the most important people in the USA, important executive and government
0: clients.
2: The civil airliner business of airphone was very minor.
0: Now, do we know for a fact that there were airphones on the United 93 the day of September eleventh, two 2001? Well,
2: that's a good question. I believe there were. They were... Fairly ubiquitous at the time, although they 're now being withdrawn, I believe there were airphones provided on that flight, and that airphone calls were made, and that uh, uh, people were contacted on the ground and uh, i don 't have a problem with uh, most of the government evidence. What my problem is with its interpretation by people who wished to promote a war in the Middle East, who took these snippets of information, assembled them into a narrative, and sold them to the American people as the truth.
0: Well, now let's talk about Todd and Lisa Beamer. To begin with. Now, Todd Beamer, I understand, worked for Oracle Corporation and he was seated in the back of Economy, and his wife's name is Lisa Beamer. Now, according to your book, they were not speaking to each other, but Todd Beamer was speaking to an operator at Verizon Corporation. Is that right? Well, as
2: far as we know, yes. The call to Verizon Corporation from Todd Beamer, however, is utterly unsupported the operating operator supervisor who took the call is called lisa jefferson she has recently published a book which is named called and uh, she reveals in this book that she is uh, passionately religious and believes that she was chosen by god to receive this call She does not name a single person in the Verizon Corporation who witnessed this call. She doesn't name Phyllis Johnson, who was named on the 22nd of September as the operator who took the call and then vanished from the record. She doesn't um, produce a recording, although that was her job as an operating supervisor. She says the FBI were monitoring the call, and the FBI have not produced recordings, and the Verizon Airphone Surveillance Center, adjacent to which she worked, did not record the call either.
0: What was reported to be the substance of this call? What, what is being claimed by Lisa Jefferson in terms of the substance of the conversation?
2: She told an elaborate story of a supernaturally calm caller who she initially suspected to be a fraud. And um, she said that he had given her semi-official information passed to him by um, a flight attendant who is sitting next to him, who she does not name, and he apparently did not name. She was taking official information from him from her handbook, her emergency handbook, and um, should not have been doing so. She should have asked to speak to the flight attendant, of course, although she later received a Verizon Excellence Award for her treatment of this call. Uh, he then um, told her that he did not wish to speak to his wife when she offered to put him through because he was so concerned about her pregnancy she was imminently going to give birth however this under normal circumstances might have reinforced an operator's suspicion of the identity of the caller since their voice could obviously be recognized by their close partner He then asked her, according to her report, to recite the Lord's Prayer with her. In some versions, it's Psalm 23 or both. Um, And he then um, also asked her what was happening and why the plane was being hijacked and what the hijackers were wanting. And she played along with this and said she didn't know. And on the Larry King show, Lisa Jefferson said that she herself did not know that um, a series of attacks were taking place, um, although she changed her story and said then said that she did. So it's very confused. The story has all the hallmarks of a cooked up story, I'm sorry to say, and uh, it should never have been given credence by experienced media editors as a reliable story i think it's just a single person hearsay from the heart of a massive corporation which at the time had a 1.4 billion contract to upgrade the government's telecommunications and the pentagons and was therefore effectively part of the government
0: now when did todd beamer's wife lisa learn of this call
2: uh, that's very interesting. Um, I sympathize with all the people involved in this story. It's a very distressing and upsetting story. Uh, the idea that it could in some way have been doctored it makes it all the more ghastly. And if Lisa Beamer is a genuine uh, distressed widow, then my heart goes out to her. However, It is not convincing that Let's Roll came through Verizon. As I say, Verizon did not make a point of mentioning Let's Roll, nor did Lisa Jefferson, until uh, Lisa Beamer came up with it. She says in her book that she received a fax from United Airlines, which Lisa Jefferson says in her book had been sent to United Airlines by Verizon. She then um, called the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, which was the lead newspaper in assembling this story, and told them of the Let's Roll uh, slogan used by her husband. As I say, this was not backed up at the time by Lisa Jefferson or Verizon. As the reporter David McKittrick for the Post-Gazette pointed out, at the time, with great prescience, He pointed out in his story that Lisa Beamer had given him the Let's Roll slogan, but that Lisa Jefferson had not mentioned it. So we seem to have a cooked up slogan that was almost immediately adopted by the President of the USA and the Pentagon, uh, who ran with it um, in their war making enterprise.
0: Now, in your book, Flight 93 Revealed, you mentioned that both Todd Beamer and Lisa Beamer worked for Oracle Corporation. Now, the head of that corporation is Larry Ellison. What role did Larry Ellison play in this?
2: Well, Lisa Beamer says in her own book that Larry Ellison sent an email circular to his employees at the Oracle Corporation on the Thursday, that is uh, three days after 9/11, while the FBI was still keeping the Todd Beamer call secret. This is um, on the record uh, by Lisa Jefferson in her book. She states that the FBI swore her to secrecy, and uh, the story was not to be released until Verizon sent this fax. Now, in the meantime, while the story was officially secret, Larry Ellison emailed his staff at Oracle with the whole Todd Beamer legend, that Todd had saved America from an attack on the Capitol, that he had shown remarkable courage and great bravery, and essentially it was the whole hero's legend recounted by larry ellison now how he knew is a mystery and lisa beamer says in her book how did larry ellison know so there is a mystery there and um of course oracle corporation is named after an alphabet agency uh, a project of an alphabet agency in the usa and um Experts say on financial websites that the corporation could not survive without its government contracts.
0: Now, what do you mean by uh, the name of Oracle being named on on what uh, named uh, named after what?
2: Oracle uh, Oracle's three founders named it after a alphabet agency project on which they worked.
0: Now, what do you mean by an alphabet agency? The CIA. Oh, I see. Okay. So maybe they named the company Oracle after a project at the CIA? Yes. I see. I see. Now, Lisa Beamer did not even learn of this supposed phone call to Verizon until after Larry Ellison put out this email. Isn't that right?
2: That's true. She um, received a synopsis of the call from her grief counselor at United Airlines, which uh, Lisa Jefferson said had been faxed by Verizon.
0: I'm speaking with journalist and author Roland Morgan. Today's show, Flight ninety three revealed. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, you also talk in your book about uh, the religious beliefs of a lot of uh, the women in particular. Actually, you refer to this as the women's flight in your presentation in Vancouver. Could you talk about that? And Now, Lisa Beamer wrote a book about her experience, and the name of the book is called Let's Roll. Now, What were her and Todd Beamer's religious affiliations? And do you think that plays a part in this story?
2: Well, Lisa Beamer um, admitted to Larry King on her Christmas broadcast from her home that she and Todd were members of the Christian and Missionary Alliance now, the Christian and Missionary Alliance goes back a long way with CIA operations abroad, particularly among the Hmong people who were the only major supporters of the Americans in Vietnam. Most Hmong living in the USA who have Christian affiliations are members of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And uh, there is other evidence of connections. Um, and that could be a pure coincidence. However, it has to be borne in mind. The other women were also uh, very keenly religious. Dina Burnett was a keen Catholic. Her husband, uh, she said, went to Mass every day. And um, Lisa Jefferson is um, a very keen evangelical
0: Lisa Jefferson being the employee at Verizon Corporation that supposedly got this call from Todd Beamer.
2: Exactly, yes. She believes that uh, God sent her the phone call.
0: Now, you mentioned Dina Burnett, the wife of Tom Burnett. Now, Tom Burnett was on Flight 93, is that right?
2: Tom Burnett was in the first class uh, on Flight 93, at least he's on the manifest, and... um, Dina was among the very first uh, widows to appear on national network TV, and she kept appearing in the early days frequently, and she kept appearing right up till Christmas. Um, She really started the hero's rumor because she said she had received four cell phone calls from her husband in the plane, in the course of the fourth of which he had referred to a passenger revolt. There are several problems with this story, and I must say first that I deeply sympathize with Dina Burnett and her family for their grief and distress in this matter. However, their story is not consistent. It does not hang together. She says that she received four telephone calls, and they're noted on the Tom Burnett Foundation website, complete with her notes taken at the time. However, the government evidence released at the Massawi trial, the billing evidence for phone calls, only shows three calls. And the fourth call in which she reported, uh, Tom Burnett said there was a passenger rebellion, um, did not happen.
0: You mean it wasn't submitted as evidence at the Masawi trial?
2: The billing, phone billing evidence submitted by the government showed three phone calls that roughly coincided with the times given for the first three supposed cell phone calls from Tom Burnett. They were actually made by Airphone. However, the fourth phone call that Dina Burnett noted and has on her website as a cell phone call um, is denied by the government uh, evidence.
0: Now, what are the political affiliations of these women who have written books? Uh, Let's see. Lisa Beamer wrote a book called Let's Roll, and she was Todd Beamer's wife. Uh, Lisa Jefferson, an employee at Verizon Corporation who took a call, she claims, from Todd Beamer has written a book called Called. Now, what about Dina Burnett? Has she written a book?
2: Yes, she's also written a book. And um, the other caller who was reported to have mentioned a revolt called Jeremy Glick. um, Also, uh, he spoke to his wife, Elizabeth Glick, for virtually the entire length of the supposed hijacking. This also was reported widely uh, in the initial stages as a cell phone call. It's now listed by the government evidence as an airphone call. However, there's a problem with that too. Elizabeth Glick wrote a book as well. Um, she says that they reported the call to the New York State Police, and other reports say that she reported it to the FBI as well. Um, however, the, these agencies have not come up with recordings to validate these calls. Now. For the believers, you see, they don't need recordings. They're happy with the um, single sourced hearsay. I'm afraid in the cold light of day, and the government agrees with me by their evidence at the Masawi trial, most of this doesn't stand up. And it's really shocking to me that channels like the Discovery Channel, a vast organization with a thousand million homes within its uh, piping reach, or Arts and Entertainment Channel, which controls the Biography Channel and the History Channel, the Universal Studios, which is part of the NBC General Electric organization. The idea that these people could spend tens of millions. On making films based on virtually no evidence, while at the same time claiming that they have massive swathes of evidence that support all this, it just beggars belief that they can get away with it.
0: Well, now, have you looked into the political affiliations of the wives who have written these books, the wives of the uh, men on Flight 93?
2: Well, they're a mixture. Um, Alice Hoglan, who first appeared, uh, reporting a phone call from her only son, um, a gay San Francisco man called Mark Bingham, um, has not been presented as a religious figure. She is the single mom, the working mom, With a gay son, she really is the appeal to the, the floaters, the people who are not evangelically linked or catholically linked or so forth. She appeals to the floating people and brings them in. Then the next witness, Dina Burnett, is the much stricter right wing conservative Roman Catholic figure who made very strict notes of all the calls she received, and they're laid out like scripture on the Tom Burnett Foundation website. Sadly, they're not supported by the government evidence, as I mentioned. Um, Lisa Jefferson is obviously, being keenly evangelical, uh, would be a, a right-wing figure. Um, Elizabeth Glick, she's not presented as a religious person, and she's always really rather kept in the background um, Her family have been more ardent advocates of the cause than her. Um, Is that all of them? I think that is.
0: Yes. Now, you mentioned uh, Alice Hoagland, the mother of Mark Bingham. We did not speak about that phone call. Now, what is the claim there with regard to a call?
2: Alice Hogland is photographed at a press conference very early in the day in a a dreadful state, Um, her hair all over the place, she's weeping, and she's generally in a really distressed condition, and of course you or I would deplore the media dragging somebody in a condition like that out into the public eye. However, she never seems to have resisted at all and uh, enthusiastically appeared on uh, television throughout the first two or three days her evidence was very important that a telephone call had occurred between her and her son and that he had said that he was aboard Flight 93 which had definitely been hijacked and um, that was very important uh, evidence at the time. the sad thing is that she actually worked for United Airlines, the operators of flight 93, which I think if that had been brought forward by responsible media managers might have tempered people's view of her evidence. And um also the fact that she got the timing of the call wrong would be quite important as well.
0: Now, all of these women that uh, we have discussed have played major media roles. Isn't that right?
2: Yes, there were three key women in in the episode. There Alice Hogland came on first, uh, closely followed by Dina Burnett, who spread the rumor of a revolt uh, with uh, a phone call that never happened. And um, then a, a short delay, an unexplained delay, uh, uh, after which uh, Lee Beamer appeared with the most amazing launch probably in the history of War Widows where she was uh, greeted in the uh, combined House of Congress by uh, President Bush and uh, um, her husband was named as a hero and she was introduced even before the Prime Minister of Great Britain and next night she went on CBS, NBC, all the big national networks, uh, giving her story supported by Lisa Jefferson, who validated the information and the phone call and um, who uh, also backed up the Let's Roll slogan.
0: I'm speaking with journalist and author Roland Morgan. Today's show Flight 93 Revealed. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, you mentioned in your book, Flight 93 Revealed, that the first hardback printing of Lisa Beamer's book, Let's Roll, was a million copies. Is that unusual?
2: Yes. That kind of print run of hardback books is uh, pretty rare. And uh, also, it was published by a Bible publisher who had published a series of novels about um, people involved in the end of the world on a religious basis where um, the savior returns to earth and um, all the uh, believers are swept up into heaven. The ghostwriter that she employed had also worked for other delusional um, evangelical preachers And um, I think when you look at the the complete picture of her publishing venture, it was clearly a right-wing religious background.
0: Do you think it's clear then in retrospect that this uh, 9-11, let's call it a campaign, the media blitz, etc., was focused on evangelicals?
2: Yes, I would say there was definitely an appeal to the religious right um, to get serious about a war on Islam. It's that simple. And um, the campaign that was mounted around the Flight 93 heroes was without any doubt a war-making campaign deliberately whipped up by senators, congressmen, the White House, and the Pentagon. There's no doubt in my mind. I don't think it, it, Americans need really need instructing about that by a foreigner. They're familiar with these kind of um, blitzes. And um, I, I just think it's a great shame that this campaign has extended as long as it has, and is still going on with the release of a major universal movie that coincided with the Masawi show trial, which of course caused massive free publicity for the movie and the simultaneous release of the um, supposed transcript of the last moments of the flight, and so on and so forth, I, I just think it's a great shame that this has gone on so long.
0: Now, how long was Flight 93 in the air before it either crashed or was shot down or whatever happened to it? And could you discuss a little bit about the termination of that flight? What is the evidence there of how that flight ended?
2: Well, the flight uh, apparently was delayed for 40-odd minutes, which, of course, could explain the subsequent events uh, from a certain point of view. If this plane was um, so late on its mission, it might have had to be destroyed for some reason because it was so late um, for one thing, it could have really stretched the credulity of the U.S. public that an hour and a half later, the U.S. Air Force was still unable to send up uh, fighter jets to monitor the uh, plane in the usual way. Um, it still seems quite extraordinary to me that they they claim um, through the 9/11 Commission that they heard nothing about Flight 93 until seven minutes past ten after it had disappeared, when we know that Dina Burnett called the FBI at approximately 9.30, and that one of the flight attendants aboard the plane, Sandy Bradshaw, even United 93 has that in its, in its material, Sandy Bradshaw called United Airlines and tipped them off that the plane had been hijacked at 9.35. This is all part of the official story. How then, with half an hour's warning from United Airlines, could the Air Force's not have heard about it until uh, seven minutes past ten? It seems quite extraordinary. Um, and uh, then the plane um, went to... Uh, It went to Cleveland, and then there's this peculiar thing of a Delta flight, flight 1989, which was reported hijacked or unaccounted for by Delta's boss in a phone call to the FAA. And curiously, Dina Burnett also had worked for an airline which was Delta Airlines. Now, This flight has sometimes been associated with some kind of shadow flight that might have been underneath it or something and landed at Cleveland and everybody was in that flight and they were all put into a hangar um, and the, the flight that actually came down was a remotely controlled or some other flight altogether. I don't think there's enough evidence to go into that. There are a couple of scraps of evidence. The mayor of Cleveland um, named the landing flight at Flight 93, but it's all based on an AP report that seems to have been a genuine mistake. I I really don't know whether it was a mistake or not. And um, the plane then changed direction and went down towards Washington, D.C., with this quite extraordinary and unprecedented change of flight plan which meant that a controller somewhere in Washington, D.C., presumably at Reagan International, actually approved a change of flight plan for a scheduled flight that was due to go to San Francisco. Literally an unprecedented event that's never been explained by the government. And then later, the plane made some strange moves that were recorded on the radar, and uh, the FAA knew about them, And a pilot was called by the air traffic control. He told the Pittsburgh Channel 4 that the air traffic controllers had asked him to look out for a plane flying low, an airliner with um, United Airlines markings. And um, he did see the airliner um, flying over the treetops, and told them as much, and uh, was then told to clear off. Well, this proves that air traffic control of some sort, what air traffic control, we're not sure. Somebody knew where Flight 93 was exactly, because they asked this pilot to uh, look out for it and identify it which even more demolishes the military's line that they had no idea where it was at the time. And it also demolishes the 9-11 Commission's official story that the plane nosedived at 45 degrees straight into the ground at tremendous speed, not far short of the speed of sound. Because this pilot and other eyewitnesses in the Pennsylvania area saw the plane flying low over the treetops, So there is a lot of very confused and polluted information about the fate of Flight 93, which is why I describe it as an air transportation disaster mystery.
0: Now, doesn't the official story have it that the plane burrowed down into an abandoned pit mine and that it completely buried itself 30 feet underground and that eyewitnesses on the scene saw no sign of a plane
2: yes i know it sounds extraordinary but that's that's on the record Uh, the pentagon said that it buried itself 30 foot deep and uh, accordioned was the term they used down to one sixth of its length which obviously would have crushed and mashed anything inside down to its elements and um You know, news reporters, television news reporters are on the web stating that uh, there was nothing there. Lisa Beamer said there was nothing there in her book. The local coroner uh, said there was nothing there. And uh, pictures, TV pictures show just scattered pieces of uh, metal, nothing substantial anywhere. Although the Masawi evidence brought out some strange photographs of individual items, you know, like a bolt or a piece of fuselage, this kind of thing just lying around, which would seem to indicate that the plane broke up before it, before it um, crashed into this crater. Then you've got these peculiar airliners, uh, aircraft that were seen over the site, a C-130 military aircraft, which the Pentagon later said was... 17 miles away and uh, they gave some vague explanation for why it was there then there was a white business jet and the Pentagon said that that had been asked to go to confirm the crash site why this plane was in the air we don't know it was half an hour after all planes had been grounded by an unprecedented order by the FAA it should not have been in the air and then Eyewitnesses also saw uh, an unusual fighter jet with what's described as a spoiler tail, and um, I've identified that, and other people have identified it as uh, a certain type of plane that you can find pictures of. And we've really got no satisfactory explanation of what these aircraft were doing over the uh, alleged crash site. And, of course, there is footage from early news reports that show another crater, an entirely different crater, and nobody can explain what caused that crater, or the um, scattering of uh, small wreckage uh, across the site. The government seems to want to have it both ways. Either the plane disappeared underground so that it can't be produced or else it smashed into pieces and um, everything was scattered everywhere so that they can produce all this evidence. For example, a clean passport of Siad Jarrah, ID of C.C. Lyles, flight attendant, um, a rather clean-looking red headband, and other extraordinarily convenient pieces of evidence. It's all very strange, and very polluted information, which is what makes it what makes it fulfill the crucial requirement of a legend that it's unverifiable.
0: Roland Morgan, thank you very much.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me on the air, Bonnie. Something happened yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. What it is ain't exactly clear
1: There's- I've
0: been speaking with journalist and author Roland Morgan. Today's show has been Flight 93 Revealed. Roland Morgan was born in Brighton, England and graduated with honors from Cambridge University. He worked as a columnist for The Guardian and The Independent on Sunday in the 1990s. He has authored 40 books of various kinds. He currently resides in Canada. He has a new DVD on Flight 93 that will be available in October 2007 through www.globaloutlook.ca. Roland Morgan's most recent books are 9-11 Revealed, Challenging the Facts Behind the War on Terror, and Flight 93 Revealed, What Really Happened on the 9-11 Let's Roll Flight, both published by Carroll and Graf, and available in good bookstores and at Amazon.com. Thanks to Ken Jenkins, Hamouk, and Todd Fletcher for research assistance. Guns and Butter is produced, edited, and mixed by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako. Our engineer is Bonnie Bone. To leave comments or order copies of the show, call 510-848-6767, extension 628. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.net. Or visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.net.
1: Hey, yo, these are some serious times that we live in, G. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now, the question is are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. Dig what I'm saying? Now, if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? This is a call of all you sleeping souls. Wake up and take control of your own cypher and be on the lookout for the spirit snipe trying to steal your life. You know what I'm saying? Look what decides yourself for peace. Release. You dig me? You got me?